I've been thinking about trust lately in a few contexts, but they're really all the same. I guess the one that's easiest to talk about is <clears throat> my doing work as a trauma healer and and getting started with it, uh, trying to find ways to get people to trust that I can help them and that I'm safe to go to. I don't have a therapist license. I don't have a body worker license. And so I can't practice therapy and I can't practice body work. But talking in a trusting container, a safe container, and sometimes involving touch um, and supportive body work is the basis of trauma healing. So navigating the details of what is therapy and how do I make sure that I'm saying that I'm not a therapist is it's been difficult. And what it's mainly done is take away a lot of markers of authenticity from me that therapists get to use. I don't get to say anything on my website about being a therapist. I instead use the word healer. And I don't get to proffer my own uh, advice or recommendations on psychology in a professional context because I'm not a psychologist. And just to fill in the background, it's not that I haven't looked into this. Getting, Becoming a therapist who could practice under my own roof would take about four years or more total, uh, about six figures worth of money, so about $100,000 in debt, give or take ten or 20000 Uh and the first year or two of my practice, where I would be working under a supervisor, I would average somewhere between twenty-five and $35,000 a year in Texas. I'm 40 years old. I can't put myself that far in the hole and expect to climb back out afterward. I would only have roughly at best, if my health were good, a 20-year career in which to get myself out of that six-figure hole earning less than six figures a year based on what most therapists earn. So there's this systematic financial trap that I don't want to put myself into, but by staying out of it, I lose these markers of authenticity, these markers of being a safe person. And it brings up the question of, well, how do I get people to trust me? And that question, you know, while I'm sort of chewing on it in the background for weeks now at the same time i've been i've been reading kant immanuel kant his first critique uh called the critique of pure reason and it's a, an infamously difficult text about metaphysics and epistemology which is to say it's a text about what can we even know beyond what we measure and not only is this subject matter difficult to ask a human mind why it can know beyond what it thinks it knows. But then the way he approaches it is at times really egotistical, and his language is from the late 1700s. It's pedantic and long form and rambling, and he revisits things hundreds of pages after he already visited them. But it's worthy to me because of what I'm looking into. Um, questions about what we can know, what exists. How does the mystical wisdom of Carl Jung meet with the, the mathematical precision of Einstein's insights about relativity. 
I know that these connect to each other and I'm, I'm looking into it. And what's common to both of these men is Immanuel Kant. In reading Kant, I'm at first introduced to these ideas of synthetic and analytic judgments or statements. And it, they're really old terms from like around the year 1600, but they're really pertinent to how we live even today. And it plays into this idea of trust. Analysis is the process of taking a thing apart into its constituents, breaking something down into the pieces that make it up. That's an analytic statement. Is one where the thing you're talking about in the statement is the container for what other parts you refer to in the statement. So you can say, a tree has leaves. A tree is wood. And the idea of wood is already baked into the idea of tree. There's no wood without tree. So wood is fundamentally a component. Same thing with leaf is baked into tree, although it gets fuzzy because plants that aren't trees also have leaves. But wood's a good example. So that's analysis, breaking something down into its constituents. And then this other idea, its complement, is synthesis, which is taking a bunch of things that aren't the same and putting them together into something new. It's deductive reasoning. Um, synthesis, finding an example of that, I'm sitting in my backyard, might be those oleander plants next to the fence are together a hedgerow. The idea of hedgerow comes out of the oleander plants. That's something like it. We take things that aren't the same and put them together into something new. And where I'm going with this, with trust, is two steps away. So here's the next step. Analysis is really saying that the subject that you're looking at and breaking down into other things is different than the predicates. Or another way of saying that, because that was really chunky. Okay, I had to pause the audio there, gather myself. With analysis, whatever thing you're breaking down into other pieces, you are saying those pieces come from that thing. With synthesis, you're taking things that are not the same and turning them into something new. And this points to how we address the experiences we have, living lives, phenomena, events, objects that we see and interact with. It's analytic to say something like, this coffee tastes good. <clears throat> because goodness is not intrinsic in the coffee. Goodness is actually coming from me. The subject in that sentence is implicit. It's not the coffee, it's me. So really, when I say this coffee tastes good, what I'm saying is, I taste this coffee as good. Good is about something in me, and I give it to the coffee.
Whereas synthesis would be having two completely or previously unrelated experiences happen together or two unrelated ideas go together and I have to learn that they're associated. Synthesis and learning are the same thing. I might say, my black coffee is an idea I'm used to. I drink coffee black. And separately, I drink milk. And when I put milk into coffee for the first time in my life and drink it, I'm drinking something new. It's not black coffee. It's not milk. It's something different. Now, I might just give it the name coffee with milk to keep the disparate ideas that made it up separate. But really, it's its own thing. A cafe au lait. And now cafe au lait becomes its own new idea in my head. And I have changed. Synthesis is the act of experiencing something that you didn't think possible. Either as an idea or as a sensational experience through taste, touch, smell, sound. But analysis is just judgment. Analysis shows up or is the thing that we can say when we experience something through the filter of who we already are. You probably now see where I'm going with trust. This shows up in so many ways when we relate to other people. When we assume what's going on on the inside of somebody in their subjective experience that we can't possibly know through sensation, then we're actually attaching whatever we already know about people to them. Prior experiences, things we remember, things that we came to believe were true in the past. In a sense, anything you remember comes from you only. And when you use it to understand the world, you're understanding the world through analysis. Which is to say, you're understanding it at least partly, if not totally, through the filter of your own self, and you're not really understanding the world. In the purest sense, where there's only two options, we analyze or we synthesize, the only way to understand the world is through synthesis, is to allow ourselves to have new experiences that we didn't think possible. To say it again, this is the same thing as learning. We don't learn when we bring our memories into a new experience. You might be able to see how easily this ties into the Eastern mystical concept of the non-self. That we are really just a continual stream of sense data that we are combining into new, new, new experiences. The practice of mindfulness is in a way to drop analysis and only synthesize. This also speaks to faith. Perhaps. Faith is tricky. Because when we have faith, 
we usually are holding our faith in some abstract idea like God or a higher power or the self or even the non-self and trusting that whatever we're experiencing is actually part of that thing. So maybe faith is analysis. And trust is distinct because trust doesn't have an abstraction to put everything into. Trust is just opening to what isn't known. That's interesting. So, when I think about how to present myself to the world in the capacity of a trauma healer, I'm stuck or I feel stuck face-to-face with people's analytic idea of the role. The role of a healer is held by a therapist or by a body worker or by somebody else with licensure that grants them authenticity and the right to practice. I don't have the right word right now. And that expectation of the role being attached to licensure resides inside the heart of everybody who considers whether or not I might be able to help them with the trauma. And since trauma is such a vulnerable experience, it's so devastatingly arresting of our self-control and our self-concept. It's very hard for someone to trust another person who says, I can help you. The bridge to trust is already this big, even when you're looking for a, a therapist or a body worker. And now to consider somebody who doesn't even have those credentials, which are part of yourself, it's that much bigger. How do I narrow the gap between someone else's self-concept and what I have to offer? That is, how do I make myself look more like what they can analytically understand without new trust? but also offer them something that they don't think possible that would actually help them. So I guess this is a mini-pod about marketing, but also about human relationships, and also about how we can know anything that we experience in the world.